Greetings, Sits and Sivs. I'm back. And you're tuned to Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you'll want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 31 and was recorded live on July 19th and made available for download July 22nd at guardfrequency.com. I'm Justin. I'm Tony. And I'm Jeff. What do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we'll update you on a few of the stories we've squawked about over the past few months. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in in in-universe fiction, 10 for the Chairman, Episode 29, the latest news on Arena Commander, and the next episode of Around the Verse. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we bring you everything we know about the Cutlass from Drake Interplanetary. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and sieves, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. S-Q-U-A-W-K. Please remember that all positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is a labor of love, but we do look great on a CV or resume. We've added a new feature to our website, GuardFrequency.com, a donate button. After six months or more of clockwork releases, trips to L.A. and Austin, and the occasional detour into lunacy, we're finally confident enough to set that hat out on the sidewalk and wait for you to throw loose change into it. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge. But it's nice to get the occasional reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We thank the folks who've already chipped in, and we hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Hey, you boys, see a carrier out here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. We thought we'd just do a quick few updates to some stories we've been following throughout our short broadcast history here. First off, Daughter of Soul has updated and improved her Star Citizen in-universe game map. If you missed it the first time we reported on it, well, okay, you get a pass, but now you have no excuse. It really is easy to get around and gives you a great view of how the different systems in the verse relate to each other, so you definitely should check that out. Next, the net neutrality comment period was extended three days past the original July 15th deadline. It's over now. The FCC servers apparently crashed a bunch due to comment volume there right before the deadline, so they had to extend that out. Thanks to everybody who put their two cents in on this important issue. In case there was any doubt in anyone's mind as to what the future looks like without net neutrality, a blog post from Net Netflix's ISP, Level 3 Communications, explains exactly how net non-neutrality works at a technical level. Don't worry, it's really easy to read. Also, a Verizon customer made a video showing how connecting through a VPN, which should slow down your network performance, actually increased his Netflix download speed. So all these things, you know, it's not just a bunch of, you know, podcasters being upset about things and waving their hands around. It actually will ruin your Netflix download speed and other, potentially all of your network communications. So it's too late to comment on it now, but still keep an eye on it. And if uh, something else happens on it, we'll let you guys know. 
Next, my favorite little fighter, the Scorpion, made it over the pond to the Farnborough Air Show. Yay! And the F-35 did not. What? Turns out that the turbine blade is scraping the engine cowling a bit more than it was designed to and causing mm, spontaneously combusting engines. But fear not, the fleet is no longer grounded. Oh, no, no, no. The F-35 can fly as much as it wants to, as long as it doesn't want to fly for more than three hours at a time, or faster than Mach 0.9, or at more than 18 degrees angle of attack, or pull more than three Gs. So, yeah. Links to all these little uh, updates will be in the show notes, and uh, enjoy. Well, I, you know, the F-35 thing is, I, I don't know. I like the uh, overall jet, but come on. For the money it costs, you can't figure this stuff out. Oh, what a God. debacle. You know, it is a airplane that pushes the envelope in a lot of different ways. That's fine. We understand. That's fine. We understand that. But if that's what you want to do, make a prototype. Don't sell us on a fleet of these things and then say, oh, we'll fix it in post. We can do that in a podcast because, quite frankly, it's free. But, you know, for a trillion-dollar weapons program, that's not a fix-it-as-you-go prospect. I mean, come on. Figure these things out first, then gear up the production line. I do follow net neutrality. Listen to some tech podcasts that cover it so we can see what doom we're headed for. Or no. Well, the interesting thing about that blog post is that it's there's the ISP that is carrying Netflix's traffic, right? So, like, if, for example, I pay Verizon. I don't, but I pay Cox Communications, but it could be Verizon. So I pay, I pay my carrier, let's say it's Verizon, to transport my network requests to the Internet, and then I pay them to deliver the material that I requested back to me. Well, on the other side of it is the person that I'm requesting it from, he pays for a connection to do the same thing, to take requests and then to deliver the content that's requested to the to the other user. So my carrier, let's say, is Verizon, and Netflix's carrier is Level 3. So the guy from Level 3 basically said that there is a building in Los Angeles that contains routers, sets of routers. On one stack is a stack of routers from level three, and the other stack is for Verizon. There are network cards in these boxes and literally pieces of wire that connect these two network cards together. And the box that contains the interconnects between level three's boxes and Verizon's boxes, they are not full. There's room for, he said, for example, four more cards apiece in these boxes. And level three has said, we've installed cards in our boxes would you please install some more cards in your boxes so we can get this traffic bottleneck fixed? And Verizon has refused. Level 3 has offered, publicly offered in this blog post to purchase the cards for Verizon, to pay to have them installed, and to pay for the cable that will connect the two of them together. And Verizon has told them no. We, the consumer, have very little to no power at all. We don't have a choice. I have a choice of one connection, which is Frontier, which was purchased from Verizon because they didn't want their copper line anymore. And that's it. I don't have any other choice. I don't have Comcast. I don't, I could go to Hughes, I suppose, but that's, I get a lower quality. In. <laughs> Satellite? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget doing this podcast. I don't know why the FCC is holding out except the fact that nothing will change with them. Well, have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for July 19th, 2014, 48388000 We've hit another milestone, unlocking the Retaliator commercial. 
we are not quite halfway to the space plant of our dreams. We've hit the half million mark with 503,000 registered users, so it's only appropriate. If you're just getting to the game, you can get your Arena Commander passes available for five bucks, and then you can get your first-person shooter pass for five bucks, and that comes out, and uh, your Planetside pass for five bucks, and that comes out, and your Capital Ship Invasion pass for five bucks, and that comes out, and basically just make sure you have lots of five bucks lying around. If crowdfunding barriers were brick walls, all of you would be the Kool-Aid man. Oh, yeah! (laughs) As yet another barrier smashed through. This letter from the chairman also sees the return of the old-style stretch goals of features that improve the core gameplay. So if we hit 50 million, we can expect alien languages. To quote the chairman, do you speak Manu? We will work through real-world linguists to create distinctive and realistic alien languages for Star Citizen's three biggest alien races, the Vanduul, the Xi'an, and the Banu. No universal translator, Star Citizen's aliens will be speaking their own authentic languages. Chris Roberts is excited about this one, and we here at Guard Frequency know our resident omniglot, Lennon, is really looking forward to the distinct and separate languages being in the game. Uh, me too. I, I think this is this is one of the better stretch goals that I've seen. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I, when I saw this, I was like, yeah! There's nothing that immerses somebody than not hearing native English everywhere. And it's one of those things, it's not a gameplay thing on the surface level. But think of all the things you can do with it in the game at a deeper level. Puzzles take on a completely different dimension here now, don't they? I mean, rather than having sort of some weird geometric shapes, you just have this thing with instructions printed on it in Banu. And if you don't read or speak Banu, you have to go acquire information in the verse somewhere. Either find a translator NPC or learn the language yourself or something. You can do a lot with having these languages in there. Just opens up whole new fields of potential for for gameplay mechanic. Uh, I think it's cool. I don't know if I will personally spend the time to learn it, but for those who do, I would hire those people to do trade agreements. You know, the NPCs talking one thing, or if it's really ridiculous, another player is speaking Banu to another player who's translating it from Banu to English. Or maybe you can hire NPCs and they'll be like, this one's okay. So that would be interesting if it's only maybe a halfway good NBC you hired and you're getting mixed messages. That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, think of what RSI can do now. They can set up their own Rosetta Stone programs <laughs> that you buy off of the... <laughs> off of the uh, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then you can sit there and go through the classes while you're uh, playing. I mean, that, that's so cool. I hope there's more stuff like that. 10 for the Chairman, episode 29, is out. As normal, Chris takes 10 questions from the subscribers and gives us the answers we're all wanting to hear. Firstly, Chris tells us that the Deep Black might not be so lonely after all, as we'll be able to play Arena Commander from anywhere in the Persistent Universe. HUDs will be upgradable, so Lennon may need to start work to get his colorblind scheme ready. That is, if he's not up to his eyeballs in Banu pronouns and adverbs. And in answer to a question we here at Guard Frequency have been wondering, how will gold farming be addressed? Well, Chris says, firstly, that RSI is selling UEC, so they'll have some control over the prices, but also trading fees will be introduced to prevent gold sellers. There's also some secret ways not yet to be revealed. Chris then goes on to say that hopefully a trusted source works, and they won't be easily undercut on the price. Uh, I'm glad they're aware of it. I'm glad they're thinking about it. But what they're talking about here is trying to tweak their markets to make it more difficult for gold farmers, 
not designing the system from the ground up to make it unpalatable or undesirable for gold farmers to be here in the first place. That's fine. If that's the way that they want to play it, I guess that's okay. But I think they would probably be a lot better off for the long run if you start with the premise that we are going to design a currency trading system that is unfriendly to gold farmers and then go from there. But if you want them to, if you want to include them as part of the market and then just design the market thinking that they're going to be there, but we're going to make life difficult for them. Well, okay. So it's their game. We'll let them play with it and see how it goes. Tony, you and I have talked about this at, at quite some length on uh, a number of different shows, actually. Uh-huh. I think that's the step in the right direction for them. I think that they need to control their own currency and if they're selling it to the populace in the real world, I think it, it helps deter the gold farming quite a bit, frankly, because uh, if they can keep up with the market. Now, I, I don't know if he meant that they were going to fluctuate the sale. They're going to have to. They're going to have to. They're going to yeah, have to. They're going to have to. For it to work, for it to be a determinant, they're going to have to fluctuate mm-hmm. with the they're, with the they're going to have to design the system with the gold farming people in mind. And that means not pegging the UEC to a solid dollar or euro or yen equivalent you've got to let it float and yeah. uh, if that's what they're planning on doing then boy you know i mean hire a banker you know <laughs> well hire a higher currency trader <laughs> that that's not out of the realm of possibilities though and um, when you think about it I, very true very true but, yeah but I, mean, I, again, I don't see how they could they're going for realism here i i don't see how they could take it out unless they're you know going to throw in different currencies all the time and you know how i feel about right. multiple currencies here we go again. We're right back where we – I mean, I, we're not going to solve this, but it's a good debate to have. Yeah. I'm going to say that over and over again. We're not going to solve it. It's a good debate to have. And finally, the speed limit. Chris explains that the physics engines don't like big numbers. 64-bit computing will help, but even still, it's hard to play at high speeds. If we assume humans are flying and we can't counter all the G-forces, then when we turn or reverse, we squish and become a pile of mush all over the seat. So the speed limit is mostly about real-life physics that happen to be limited by computing capabilities. Now, one thing a lot of folks don't know is that our Pariahs is a delicate soul. Well, when he's not tearing apart patches at any rate. So imagine his disappointment when he discovered that there's no new Arena Commander patch this week. Fortunately, we've been allowed to poke our nose behind the curtains and see what's going on at CIG with an article that describes how the patch is coming along. It goes into quite a bit of detail about how the crew went about trying to replicate the lag bugs. And while they haven't squished that particular mammoth gem, they have uncovered a few related issues which will be making their way into the new patch. As we said last week, we now have further confirmation of a new Vanduul enemy who will be showing their faces when 12.5 finally hits. So be sure to keep your launchers loaded over the next few weeks. One thing I noticed was one of the things causing all the lag was when you fire and hit somebody else. So we can solve the rubber banding by let's just be friendly. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> just, just be friendly. We're all friendlies here. So let's just be friendly. If we don't shoot each other, we can fly around the verse lag free. Oh, wait, except the whole point of the game is to blow stuff up. Dang it. Oh, well. Another week, another two fantastic pieces of fiction are giving us an in-universe look at life in the verse. This week brings us Orbital Supermax Episode 3 and another entry into the Showdown series. In Orbital Supermax Episode 3, our hero discovers that being in charge of an army of escaped prisoners isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And it turns out that hydraulic fluid hoses are a lot tougher than they look. And Showdown, as normal, is a quick back and forth covering a host of topics featuring xenophobia, senators, and the Oscars. In space! Make sure you check out these fantastic pieces of fiction over at the RSI website. The folks here at The Verse are a talented bunch, and this week's fan spotlight is no exception. 
This time it features fan art. Four Star Citizen fans were chosen. Reed Dickinson and their Moby Glass UI concept. Maxo with their Banu Merchantman recruitment poster. Was one of my favorites. Inka Talmir with their gorgeous sketches, and Yosef March bring a hint of what he's going to be up to in the verse. Links to all these artists can be found in our show notes. And finally, in our news roundup, Around the Verse Episode 6 was released, bringing us the best from the Star Citizen community and putting us one step closer to the folks behind the game at CIG. This week we discover that cross-chassis updates for the Gladius will be available when the Gladius is an arena commander. Art and audio teams have been working on textures and the effects of several new game modes, including New Horizons. EVA prototype in progress. We also have a ton of ship updates. Idris Bridge has been completed. The F-8 Lightning work is in progress. Started animations for the Gladius in preparation for the hangar module. We'll see the Gladius in the hangar sooner rather than later. Yay. Greyboxing continues on the Retaliator, Gladiator, Panther, and Javelin. The 890 jump concept is done, and it's moving into the white box stage. CIG Austin has made fixes to the Origin 350R hardpoints and made revisions to the Super Hornet's cockpit. In-engine damage states and collision for the Constellation and M50 are ongoing. CG Bot has made great progress in the Constellation variants and the damage states should be completed soon. Concept art for the Vanduul torpedo bomber and collector ship is done. This week's interview was with Calix Renault, who answers questions from the backers. Calix says that the most difficult ship to work on so far has surprisingly been the Aurora. The Aurora has an intricate structure which took a lot of work to get right when it came to damage states. The most enjoyable so far has been the Cutlass, and the Constellation will be the ship used as a baseline for figuring out capital ship damage states with separate damage states for the exterior and interior. Like with 10 for the Chairman, those are just our highlights, but we highly encourage you to check this episode out over on the RSI website. You know, the big thing that I took away from this was that last week's uh, Around the Verse, Sandy was all done up with blue hair and makeup and crazy-looking stuff like that. Turns out she was filming a video for the In-Universe store. She's going to be like your your electronic assistant in the In-Universe store. So check, check it out, man. So the VP of marketing for the game company is marketing in-game items and services in the game, man. Whoa. Whoa. Mind blown. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I took away from all of this was the fact that they're getting to the point where now they can take these ships individually through the damage states a lot easier because all that previous core coding is, is completed. And so now mm-hmm. they're really churning through all these ships. Yeah, I was encouraged to see that the, the Constellation is going to be their baseline case because it really is, I think, the first ship that in combat you might be walking around inside a lot. I mean, maybe the Freelancer a little bit, maybe the Cutlass a little bit. But, you know, the Connie's pretty good sized. It has lots of nooks and crannies in it. Uh, you know, it's going to have detachable components, the Merlin fighter. So, I mean, I think that's probably a good place for them to start. It's not too big. It's not overwhelmingly big closer to fighter size than Idris size, but it really will have to incorporate the internal physics of being able to walk around inside. It's uh, going to have interior panels and textures and exterior ones, so hopefully it's a good test case and they'll figure out all the danger zones. But I was also very curious about the Gladius, because we talked a lot about that last week and about the decision to 
sell it, and then they're coming out today saying, well, we're really close to having it in engine. So if you're really close to having it in engine, why not just wait till it's in engine right. to do the sale? I know. You probably would have gotten a lot of uh, less negative feedback about the sale, and you probably would have sold a lot more ships by now. Well, I, I'm not sure they got a lot of negative feedback for it. I'm just saying that with just don't give your detractors ammunition. Don't give anybody a reason to point at you. If it's close to being done, just wait for it to be done. Again, I really think it was more of a demonstration for people, and people not us, not backers, not people that are already in but to other individuals who might be interested, like, say, people that might be in the back end of the financing part of the game. Look, when we go to the crowdfunding well, the people, they come to us. The backers, they come back. They can get data from the transactions like... These are new backers that are coming in to get the Gladius. These are old backers who are re-upping. The average contribution is now X. I mean, they get a lot of data from this as well. I think that's probably a big portion of why they decide to do this from time to time. But you know what? I would snap up right now. I would snap up any kind of content expansion in the game. I mean, I know we've been promised a Vanduul enemy, but it's, it's delayed and just anything, really. I just need something to end this content drought. And I've got to know, guys... Where the f*** is the Avenger mission pack? Oh, here we go again. (laughs) I mean, seriously. It's been weeks since the 12.4 patch, and it's broken, you know, because, you know, they got all the network lag, so... I'm just, I'm at my wit's end, guys. So once again, I I turn to my old nemesis, Civ Five. It really is just terrible. I've been meaning to get into the Star Trek Online crafting update, but I had to install ARC, and I've just been, like, washing the taste out of my mouth of having to do that. Yeah. Uh, Because I had to reinstall my Star Trek Online client, and uh, I'm just, just... Waiting for the bad taste to go away. So that's what I've been doing. What have you been doing, Jeff? Well, with the uh, new video card, I've been revisiting some a lot of the games. Planet Side, uh, Battlefield, Call of Duty, Ghost Recon, Defiance. You've been playing everything I, I just, to make, just to see the pretties. Yeah, just to see it pretty. What are you doing there, uh, Justin? I haven't been playing too much, but I've been playing a game I've had a while. Guacamelee. So. <laughs> Guacamelee? Guacamelee. Yeah, it's a, you're a luchador fighting various things and there's these posters of other luchadors but they're all references to other things like there's a grumpy cat there's a wreck it ralph all right well we do have a tip for you this week even though that the network is laggy and uh there's you know we're in the middle of the content drought still but we want to bring you uh, our little nugget of information here the firing solution and you No doubt you've all blown up hundreds of Vanduul and making excellent use of your guns, but did you know that if your weapon reticle is not green, you do not have a firing solution? Just because the circle is over the target doesn't mean you're going to be able to hit them. Further, if your reticle turns into a diamond, you don't just have a firing solution, you have the optimal firing solution. So let's recap. Circle over the target, not necessarily a firing solution. Green over the target, firing solution. Diamond over the target, optimal firing solution. While the guns do automatically adjust for target movement, you will likely still need to manually lead your shots, that is, fire slightly in front of the enemy to account for his movement, especially if they're not near the center of your target area. If an enemy is being evasive, try adjusting your aim slightly inside of their turn. A dot in a line leading to your reticle indicates that the actual firing position of your weapons is not exactly on your target. It's relative to your target. So if the need arises, you can use the dot to fire without a solution. As your guns track towards the target, that dotted line will shrink until the dot at the end of the line centers itself inside the reticle. Once again, everything comes back to power management, as diverting power from weapons in the power management or F3 screen will cause those weapons to track more slowly and that dotted line to shrink much more slowly. 
Well, with the latest news from CIG done, let's learn all about the Cutlass in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Greetings, sits and sis, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets, where we delve into the guts of Star Citizen and give you the illuminated details from the inside out. A warning up front, this game is still in active development, so anything we say is subject to change. Last week we ran a ship poll, and you all voted for the Cutlass from Drake Interplanetary. Now, Drake Interplanetary claims that the Cutlass is a low-cost, easy-to-maintain solution for local in-system militia units. And while it's true that the Cutlass are used throughout the known space for such mission as search and rescue, their prime task and immediate association is with high space piracy. You'll often find the Cutlass operating in groups, targeting transit lanes to prey on hapless merchants. A single Cutlass can ravage a mid-sized transport, and it's been told that a pack of Cutlasses can take down a larger prey easily. But how did she shape up? A max of two crew, 29 meters long and 7 meters high, with enough cargo space to carry 150 freight units. Another new measurement we have no basis for. Let's call this one Chocolate Fudge Sunday. Okay. <laughs> I know. She's only a tiny bit smaller than a freelancer. Unfortunately, the devs have confirmed that despite the small size, you won't be able to fit her inside an Indris. Oh. Unlike the freelancer, however, the Cutlass has a smaller power plant which means it has fewer main and maneuvering thrusters and a smaller shield. However, unlike the Freelancer, the Cutlass is armed to the teeth with two Class 1, one Class 2, two Class 3, and one Class 5 weapons aboard, which roughly translates to two fixed guns, one articulated gun, two pylon mounts for missiles or sensor pods, and one man turret. Search and rescue must be incredibly dangerous to have to carry such an arsenal. Finally, a word from the designers. The idea is that Drake Interplanetary builds ships which are ostensibly for legal purposes, local militias, neighborhood watch, etc., but are obviously for pirates. So it has the appearance of a military fighter, but made it to an awkwardly larger hole for collecting sweet, fat loots. It also has a cheaper build quality. If Anvil is building Jeeps and Origin is building BMWs, this is a Honda. You know, one of the benefits of the Cutlass that is not included in here is that you, if you have one, you get the asteroid hangar. So that's another perk that you get. Well, eventually I'll probably pick up one. I've got enough ships to play with for right now. Yeah, I was going to get one of these because I wanted a two-seater, right? I wanted to, I wanted to have, you know, the Maverick and Goose experience. Sure. The uh, Thel- you mean the Thelma and Louise experience. <laughs> <laughs> Thelma and Louise, Maverick and Goose. Pick your, pick your metaphor. Either one, really. <laughs> Um, but uh, but uh, then I went to the next great Starship finale in L.A., and they had a drawing, and I won one of the packages, so I got a two-seater Hornet. So I don't need a two-seater Cutlass anymore, so, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good at this point. And the asteroid hangar is cool and all, but... Are you new to the verse and need a bit of advice? Is there a tidbit of some lore, some sit or sib taught you that we all should know? Let us know by dropping us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. But for now, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! From our show post at guardfrequency.com. Dialect says, welcome back, Lennon. Those first seven minutes and 30 seconds were really legendary the consultant pirates amazing keep up the good job i thought that was kind of clever 
I, I thought so. It. That was a lot of fun to do. That was, that's always fun. It kind of went long. That's why we don't worry about it when we record the show. We just make <laughs> the audio engineer who's unfortunate enough to have to edit us worry about it. So, <laughs> Osteron says, great show, guys. First of all, something possibly for the Squawk Box. Chris Roberts has already said invisible ships are a no-go, but this real-world stuff would certainly make for a nearly undetectable hull. And then he includes a link to an article from the UK saying that they have a black that is so black that it's blacker than the blackest black ever. Uh, Jeff, don't <laughs> click that link. Oh, i got to check this no, out. No, no, Jeff. There's a link. <laughs> don't click the link. Oh, my God. Well, this one only goes to, this one goes to a British newspaper, so I'm relatively certain it's probably fine. So, uh, But uh, no, I'd, we'll, we'll, we'll check that out. Maybe we'll look at that for the next week's Squawk Box. And then he goes on to say, in an attempt to ease Tony's concern with power balance in the ships, I believe I remember either an early 10 for the chairman or wingman's hangar. Chris sat in where someone asked about the old shields, weapons, engine, power distribution, and he confirmed it would be in there. I just think it's another one of those granularities that haven't been added to the game as of yet. I certainly hope so because one of the lag problems they were having was the power availability to thrusters and how that changed depending on when you fired your guns or took damage to your shields and the communication of those differing power differentials being available to your ship were not being communicated across the network. And so with the server predicted where your ship would be and your your ship on your local client was actually generating a lot less or a lot more power because of availability, it was getting out of sync and that's why people are jumping all over the place and rubber banding and, and warping here and there. So Again, this would be a nice uh, killing two birds with one stone if we just had sort of a more capped power setting. It would make it a lot easier for the simulation in the game to predict motions across the network. So, But maybe maybe we'll see what they come up with. Uh, he goes on to say, in response to the actual community question, I'm more in it for the backing, but I'm also very conscious of what's offered for the investments. I tend to shy away from spending money on things I won't conceivably use in the game. For example, I doubt I'll be spending any money on getting UEC for hangar decorations, nor will I be taking advantage of VD items until more is known about their actual in-game function <laughs> he or said statistic. <laughs> it's never not funny. That's, that's, that's the thing about it. Yeah, and I, I, we appreciate that uh, that feedback on that. I think that it's probably true that if you're backing because you want to support the game, that's one thing. But you're not going to buy things that you find useless or you're not sure what the use will be. You know, and that's why the ship sells so nice, because no matter what the actual guns do or the actual thrusters are made out of, you're going to get a pretty ship. It's a piece of art. Uh, and I'm totally agreement there. I, I think that the decorations are okay. Get occasional one for immersion or just because it's I don't like empty space. But I, I think that we need more than just ships, though. I'd like to see some guns and some missile pods. Eh, I mean, it, it's tough, but I mean, I think the one thing we're clear on is ships sell, ships are art. People pay for art. Sell people art. Here from Saladin, who says, As to last week's community question, I just want to move my bars from place to place. As for UI customization in Star Citizen, I would like to change some things from left to right to top to bottom. Berserker1 suggests, Gladius is being offered because it is needed for Squadron 42. My guess is that it will be out faster than, say, the Mustang, if not around the same time. Thus, it will be available in the hangar shortly due to its legitimate need for it in a single-player campaign. I think we will see more ships which are needed sooner for Squadron 42 before seeing ships like the Banu Merchantman and other mostly persistent universe-focused ships as a result. Oh, I, I agree with him, actually. I think they are coming out. Because they've got to have these assets ready for Squadron 42, which 
you know, the alpha slash beta slash first 10 chapters, whatever they're calling it now, is due out kind of at the end of the year. I mean, that's the timeline that they're sort of shooting for. So anything that's got to be out for them, they're going to have those damaged states. They're going to have the LODs done. They're going to have the cockpit animations figured out. Yeah, I mean, that's why the Idris should be coming later this summer is because they need it for Squadron 42. And if there's going to be problems with it, they need to figure them out now. Now, an important correction from last week. We hear from Kinshadow, Dread Sexy. And he says, I just listened to the podcast. I feel like you guys need to make a clarification note on your next show about some insurance facts that you got wrong or sounded confusing the way that you put them. Well, Kinshadow, thank you for listening to the show carefully enough to find out where we were wrong on something. And because Lennon is not here and he wrote that entire thing, we're going to blame him entirely. Yep. Because he's not here to defend himself. If you melt a ship with LTI, then that LTI is gone. Buying a new ship with credits does not give the new ship LTI, as was suggested. The only way to upgrade a ship with LTI is via the Variant Upgrade Packs or the Cross Chassis Upgrade Packs. That is why the Cross Chassis Upgrades were such a big deal, and Ben Lesnick has said there will eventually be Cross Chassis Packs for upgrading to all ships. Number two, you kind of made it sound like any ship veteran slash original backers buy are LTI ships. That is wrong, and no one can buy LTI anymore unless you're buying as part of the higher tier ship packages. The fleet pack, $2,700 and up, still has LTI. The only surefire way to tell if you have LTI, as we mentioned before, is to look in the package contents to see if it says Lifetime Insurance. Do not melt well, your LTI ships. Wait for the cross-chassis upgrades. Well, thanks, Ken Shadow. Appreciate uh, you calling us out on that. And we'll be sure Lennon gets this note. Because it's all Lennon's fault. Right, guys? All Lennon's fault. Right. All right. Glad we're clear on that. From Twitter, Captain Max Stowe says, Episode 30 of the best space podcast ever. And Sonny's from Sonny's Diner let us know, Your recent pirate consultant sketch was brilliant. Well, thanks. We'll do more. You'll you'll hear from those guys again, I assure you. And from Facebook, Mike Foley says, regarding community question, uh, I pay a bit for both. It's clear in my mind what I'm doing. I've not got into it anywhere as much as some have, and I worry that a fair number of people are going to look back at up to $10,000 spent on virtual spaceships and ask themselves, what the hell was I thinking? I think a little peer pressure is playing a part, and it's become cool to throw money at CIG. Yeah, I, I, there may be some of that. There, you know, there may be some of the whole, oh, I bought mine. Have you bought yours yet? And you got to keep up with the Joneses a little bit. But remember that the Joneses you're keeping up with are other space podcasts, space sim nerds that think this game is going to be totally awesome. So I don't know that there's a lot of peer pressure going on. I have to agree there's not a lot of peer pressure on it. And I'll tell you why. When I started playing the original Wing Commander, most of the people that are either complaining or buying it because it's cool were still in diapers. Yeah, and again, it goes back to the design of not only the game, but also the design of the campaign to get this thing done. And you got to take your hat off to, uh, I'm going to point my finger at Sandy, she's the VP of marketing, you know, you got to point your finger at her and say genius because really you're targeting older guys like Jeff who are comfortably in their careers, probably have disposable income to toss around, have a lot of fond memories and nostalgia for the kinds of games that Chris Roberts delivered, which at the time were cutting edge, took some chances and took some risks and were high quality. So you identified your demographic you're going after. You put in a perfectly price discriminatory contribution system. 
five bucks for a stupid poster in the game all the way up to $10,000, $15,000 for completionist packs. I mean, contribute any amount in between, any amount you're comfortable with. You pick the price you want to pay to help. It's just brilliant from start to finish. And the only peer pressure, I think, involved in it is, are you going to chip in? And as long as you chip in anything, you're helping build the game and you're in the club. I got a golden ticket, so shut it, <laughs> shut it, old, <laughs> shut it, old man. Shut it. <laughs> and from our amazing donors of monetary goodness, Anonymous is back with another ten bucks. Thanks. Oh, and I thought they were just like some online activist hacker people. No, they donate to great podcasts like ours. Well done, Anonymous. So, how was the show? Was it like a cool summer's day? Or was it rain and lightning which knocked out your power? Either way, let us know and here are some of the ways you can get in touch with us. Check us out on our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this week's episode show notes at guardfrequency.com or you can subscribe feeds.guardfrequency.com or find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute, tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 31 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 32 on July 29th. Be sure to keep an eye out for our episodes over at guardfrequency.com or our post over at the Robert Space Industries Fan Sites Forum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can hit the contact form at the top of our website. All the details for all of our contact methods will be in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Would you like to come join our team? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. We're always on the lookout for talented individuals. So if you'd like to be a part of the best damn space sim podcast ever, then we'd love to hear from you. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. You know, and if you're not doing anything Saturday night, join us live at guardfrequency.com slash live, 8 p.m. Central, 2 a.m. Sunday, GMT. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Thanks to our community manager, Jay Chivalry Hi, and artist Simon Charlton Edwards. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. So if we hit 50 bucks... 50 bucks. <laughs> That's what it says, $50. <laughs> yeah, it does say 50 bucks. And Lennon's not here for us to make fun of him. Justin, does your microphone nope, turn I off again? I was debating if I should start uh, doing the Swedish chef thing, eh? Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. Can I, can I get a can I get a translator in there, please? Bark, bark, bark. Yeah. <laughs> 
Go, Jeff. Uh, didn't you want to talk about the? Oh, hmm? I guess <clears throat> I guess it is me. <laughs> I was hmm. uh, one paragraph short or shy of a you know, full paragraph. <clears throat> well, you're one thing short of a lot of things. Maybe <laughs> you're getting older, you know. And showdown as normal is a quick back and forth covering a multitude. Uh, me, me, more, more, my, my, me, me. Is that is that uh, and showdown band? as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from our show. Wow, great start. Community management noises. Except I'm typing my audacity window. That can't be good. Uh, doesn't look anything too bad happened. Before we start on with the show, we'd like to let everyone know that today, as we record the show, is Jeff's birthday. I'll sing a a very well-known birthday song in, in my family. It goes, happy birthday, happy birthday, people dying everywhere, one more day, another gray hair, happy birthday. <laughs> well, you have a depressing family. Yeah, but well, you know, we, we are... sued for... Playing yeah, that one. exactly. If we if we done the other birthday song, we would have to pay some copyright fees, and we don't want to go. Actually, I I brought this up with Lennon, and apparently Warner Brothers is being sued uh, for collecting that royalty for all these years. When it turns out they may not actually have the copyright, Woo-hoo. so there's that. Yes, that space is being contested even as we speak. So, all right. Hey, you know what? In celebration, in celebration of justice being done, Lennon hit it. 